Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I am here with Lou Weiss, who is the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio and also president of All Metals and Forge Group. They manufacture open die forgings and seamless rolled rings for industrial uses and machinery building. If you're looking for that kind of forging, check them out at steelforge.com. Joining us today is Norbert Orr. Norbert is our senior correspondent on Global Purchasing Manager Indexes. He looks at 18 different ones across the globe and some regional ones in the U.S. Always glad to have you with us, Norbert. You're always sharing great information. Thanks. Pleasure to be with you as always. And uh, certainly this month we've got an interesting story to talk about what's going on with the global uh, PMIs. And then and, some. And then it's going to get more interesting next month, but what's the picture look like this month? Right. Well, each, each month, you know, our ability to forecast is uh, being limited each uh, more and more each month, simply because so much is in the hands of so many people that, uh, uh, it's questionable whether or not they, they should be the ones making some of the decisions and uh, so on from that. Well said. <laughs> no doubt. So what's our, as I call them, the flock of starlings doing this month? <laughs> Which direction are they headed or are they all over the place? Uh, well, they're, they're basically dispersing uh, because they're getting more variability into um, the system. Uh, if you take, uh, for instance, the Chicago index has been consistently uh, above 65 and uh, it fell down nine points to 56. So what happened? What changed that much? That, that is a 20% month over month difference. Right. And so you know, as we look and, and uh, try to figure out why, why we get that much change. Uh, some of the others, uh, the Chinese, two, two surveys, one's at 50.2 and one's at 50.4. So there's absolutely no real change in the Chinese economy month over month. Uh, they have had a lot more problems than they've divulged, which is always the case. Uh, but uh, uh, the reality is when COVID came through, China shut down many of its plants completely, as we did in things like the meat industry. Uh, we saw, we, we did some of the same thing. So those startups have been very, in China, been very slow to come back. The people have uh, when they went home, they stayed home. And so we see a, a, a big difference there in how they responded uh, versus how some of the other countries responded to that, which caused uh, a, a lot of problems uh, from that. Norbert, can, if you don't mind, can we go back to the, the beginning, uh, the Chicago? I mean, to me, that sounds like that's a crisis. What happened there? I mean, everybody wants to know about China and Russia and Ukraine, but what happened in Chicago? 
Well, one of the problems I have with the Chicago survey yeah. is that it's 65% manufacturing and 35% services. Right. So was that big a drop uh, split among them or was it uh, uh, one, of, one of the surveys, uh, one side of the survey, either manufacturing or services, did it dominate? Is, does that mean the whole manufacturing area in Chicago fell through? I, I don't think so. I think it, it's probably uh, the services sector that slowed because uh, that's where the employment issues are. And right. uh, we're seeing employment uh, fall, et cetera. And, and uh, uh, that, that makes a big difference in, in the data. Well, I'm not glad to hear that the services took a fall, but you know, the last, uh, my, our primary business, All Metals and Forge Group, for the last three, four months has been growing by leaps and bounds. And the manufacturing uh, report by uh, the Institute of Supply Management also shows that there's you know, significant holding and growing patterns in manufacturing. So when I hear a 20% drop in Chicago, I'm like, I want to go to the bank and take my money out. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure uh, you need to wait at least one more month, Lou, before you do okay. that. Yeah. All right, I'll do that. To get in there. <laughs> um, but no, why don't we talk about Europe? Because that's where all of the unfortunate action is at the moment. And, and it's only been 15 days, so we're not really getting a, a full picture. <clears throat> so I want to get an idea of where they are now, maybe where you think they're going to be in a month. And then in a month when we chat with you, we'll see if this war has caused a significant impact on the purchasing managers. Right. Um, and we'll see whether, what, how much that really picks up, Tim. Uh, in that data, how much has really changed? Because the, the changes that we see don't necessarily happen in uh, as big as Chicago, obviously. It, we're measuring change, so we like to see the change in there, uh, but it's also uh, uh, hard to assign all of that change just to, uh, you know, to what's going on in Chicago. Uh, we, I used to count on Milwaukee to support that, but uh, they've had a struggle with their survey and haven't uh, haven't gotten it out as, uh, as consistently, so it's been hard to use. But there is a, a consistency in the data uh, between 55 and 60. If you look at ISM, 50, uh, manufacturing's at 58.6, non-man's at 56.5. Uh, you look at uh, Canada's 56.6. Uh, the Eurozone's 58.2. Uh, within the Eurozone, you've got Greece at 57.8, France at 57.2, uh, Ireland at 57.8. Uh, so everything's clustered, as you like to look at the, the uh, scattergram, Tim, everything's clustered around those that are growing are, uh, you know, a uh, 
change of, of, of from uh, an index of 56 for instance, uh, 55 represents a 10% month over month change in, in, in the data. So that's a that's a big change in any uh, any any data set that you're looking at. So uh, we we have to uh, look at that and say there's U.S. is doing well, Europe is doing well. The the eurozone itself came in at fifty eight two, so that's their composite of all all of that. Uh, and uh, then we see Canada doing well. Uh, Mexico is still struggling, which we expect. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with the numbers that I see. The first thing I look at is what's happening to new orders and what, what is happening to new orders uh, is uh, new orders are, are solidifying. Uh, they're holding up very well. We had a number of uh, uh, indices that had new orders in the 60s. And so uh, new orders is going to drive next month's production, right? Sure. Uh, and so, uh, uh, like I say, I feel very good about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll be concerned about our abilities to sustain it, but uh, certainly uh, not unhappy with what we see in the data right now. Russia is not looking too good right now on so many counts. <laughs> uh, At forty-eight-six plus, their whole army is in mid-Europe. Right. Uh, well, well uh, I, I, I don't. I'm not sure. I understand all of the economics uh, coming out of Russia uh, because they have um, uh, apparently the ability to to take uh, their currency, their food supply, everything else and, and stretch it uh, tremendously uh, because they've got to be getting hurt uh, around this from having shut down production facilities. Uh, there, there's a lot, that, uh, the, a lot of pain that they're inflicting upon themselves. Certainly not what they're inflicting upon the Ukraine, but there still is a lot that they're, they are inflicting on themselves. Well, they want to go back to the way it was during the great empire. Right. Where everybody starved except for the, uh, the, uh, the rich and famous. Exactly. So uh, I don't know if they're going to simply work their workers and let them drop over and replace them with other workers. I don't know, did they really experience the level of shutdowns? Do we know with any certainty that the rest of the world did? Uh, we really don't know. You know, so little that comes out, so little that's combined. I'm sure the people in the uh, uh, central office uh, get numbers and so on, but they don't share any of that to speak of. And if they did, we wouldn't believe it anyway, so. The New, the New York Times this morning came out with an article that they shut down their main auto manufacturing company 
due to lack of, uh, you know, supply chain and so on and so forth. I forgot the name of the company. It starts with an L. Uh, right. Probably L Y X Q. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they shut down, and not I, I think it, uh, you're searching for a lot of probably. There you go. We can count on you to do that. Uh, a number of years ago, we had an exchange student from uh, uh, Russia uh, spend a, a, a month with us and with my family, and got to know him uh, quite well. And uh, he, he always would say, if you own a lot of, you'll never see the sun. And the whole idea was you're going to be under it working on it so much. <laughs> that sounds like a Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, they, they have their... Uh, uh, they have their crosses to bear. You know, Norbert, I don't think they can. I don't think they can run the way they operate. I don't think they can add all of this land uh, and uh, to to their their ownership, if you will, of, of the region. Uh, I, I understand the issue about the ports. That, that plays a big role in it. I'm not sure that's the whole story though. Uh, I think it's convenient. They're, they're gonna tell you whatever they can, try to get you to believe. So uh, we'll see. Norbert, I'm just curious about everything south of our border in the US all the way down through Central America and South America. How is that whole region doing? Uh, Collectively, they're okay. Uh, let's see, Brazil was at uh, 54.7 this month, Lou. Uh, and that was, down, that was up from 47.8. So there's another large jump. Uh, and, and this time in the favor of, uh, of Brazil uh, to be better. So the, the region, you know, uh, seems to be okay. Uh, I worry about sending envoys to Colombia and Venezuela, uh, other parts of Nicaragua, I think is on that list, uh, to try to, to, to buy oil. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't realize all the years I spent as a purchasing manager that uh, we, we were basically uh, rocket scientists and nobody knew it. <laughs> well, you had to certainly juggle a lot of balls to make things work. Yeah, well, th th that's for sure. But the reality is uh, we got a lot of people making decisions around energy that really don't understand uh, you know, as an energy buyer I, for 40 years, I, I learned early on that I wasn't buying oil, I wasn't buying coal, I wasn't buying bark, uh, which is a fuel source. I wasn't buying nuclear. What I was buying was BTUs. And 
you have to break it down that way. It's the broader category of what you're buying to really understand. I want to have access to all of those because at different times, the market favors different solutions and different products. And so uh, a lot of times the market would shift for natural gas. All I'd have to do is turn the valve and uh, not quite that simple, but we turn the valve and we could be burning six oil and be very competitive in doing that. Or we, in some instances, could burn number two oil uh, and uh, benefit from that. Uh, so we have this uh, idea that uh, we, we can focus on one form of energy and protect ourselves long-term, and, and that's not really the case. So what's going to happen with uh, oil at the pricing that it's at? I mean, it's, uh, it was up to 120. I think it's about a little bit over 100 a barrel now. Um, where's it going? Uh, well, it's going to get bounced around pretty good, Lou. Uh, one, one of the things about uh, oil is oil can always find a market. If we cut them off and say, well, we're not buying from them, uh, they'll sell it to somebody else who sells to somebody else who actually sells to us. <laughs> oil will always find a buyer because it, it's, it, it's transportable. Uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of ships, uh, when the Middle East was supplying uh, much of the globe and so on, uh, a ship would come out of the Middle East and they wouldn't have a buyer for it until they were halfway across the ocean. Because it's whoever puts the biggest value on it, how long they want to wait to get a, uh, 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 a contract in place to make sure they've got a, a place for delivery and not have to move it around too much. Uh, so uh, I, th I think that's what's going to happen now. We're not going to accomplish uh, a lot with the movement of uh, oil or with taking oil off the market because it's going to find its way. Some, somebody who we do business with is going to buy more of it. Uh, back in the 70s, which I know you guys aren't old enough to remember, uh, but... Uh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it's, it's the glasses. They, they, they have an improvement uh, ability. I just squeeze them a little bit. They fog up and stuff. But back during that period of time, uh, we weren't supposed to have ships coming in and so on and embargo. So they would take and uh, send it outside the 10 mile limit and bring it back in. So now it was imported oil from somewhere else and the papers and everything go with it. And, uh, that, that's the story, that's the history of embargoes, whether they're oil or anything else, any commodity, you guys know commodities. Uh, the commodity is going to find its uh, its home. Yes, no doubt. Theor theor theoretically, you're you're correct, uh, Norbert. Uh, but I'd like to introduce another commodity, being that it's so close to my heart in the metals world. 
and, and I presume that you're aware of what's going on with uh, the LME and nickel pricing, yes. Yes. which went from on December 9th last year from $12,000 a ton to two days ago on uh, 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 March 8th, it right. went to $92,000 a ton, and they have suspended trading in nickel. As of this morning, they're still not trading it. Right. So is it speculators, or is it all of a sudden everybody's uh, hot for nickel? Or, you know, what's, what's the story there? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, obviously, you have a, a different demand picture, you know. Uh, I, I have a, a certain closeness to uh, nickel because I, I was raised uh, uh, just about two miles from the largest uh, nickel plant in North America. And oh. so uh, international nickel was uh, in West Virginia, you know, and uh, uh, used to that. The, the, the problem here is there's, you know, economists talk about elasticity, how much elasticity is there in the supply, how much flexibility, how much. And so we got through a period of time where we just, we were taking out of the inventory and reducing the inventory because we couldn't produce it fast enough and so on. And I think we hit that point where the, the inventory itself uh, is so low and it, it's gonna to have to play some catch up. You know, the, the cure for high prices, uh, well, you know, we also, economists also talk about demand destruction, that what was $12,000 a ton goes to $92,000 a ton. That's gonna eliminate 80 to 90% of the buyers Right, that just can't can't stay in the game at that price. So I, I think that's what we're going to see, and all of this is going to take a while to balance out. It's going to happen to oil prices, uh, aluminum. You know, uh, I, I've always followed Alcoa in, in the aluminum market, and uh, they've gone from wondering if uh, what their future is to uh, where they. Uh, uh, looking at expansion and looking at investment and ch ch just change their whole world. Uh, and, you know, their money is in aircraft quality aluminum. It's right. not the bulk commodity, it's the aircraft product. The point that you mentioned about that they're at $92,000 a ton, there aren't going to be many buyers buying. Right. However, All Metals and Forge Group over the last 10 days has probably sold more nickel product than we have in the last two years. All right. And there are some people who are hung out to dry. They don't have a choice. They've got to buy it, which means that they're passing the price on to other people. In some cases, the U.S. government. The U.S. Right. government, you need, you need nickel. You need it for automotive. You need, which is one of the primary elements that go into uh, uh, automotive uh, batteries. Right. Uh, 
so there are some people that are you know stuck with this uh, situation as it exists now. Yeah, and uh, and maybe at twelve thousand dollars a ton, it was underpriced. That could be. Okay, so maybe the real market is around thirty dollars, thirty thirty thousand dollars a ton, not ninety thousand. So it's got to find its level. Right. Uh, and at, at a point that they, they can charge for it as a component of what they're selling uh, and still stay in business from that. So, you know, that, that's why we, we see all of these uh, changes that are taking place and shortages. Uh, uh, you know, I, I still have to say, I went to the grocery store with my wife and uh, I was amazed. There is a huge shortage of Rice Krispies. <laughs> That's serious stuff. Uh, and, and so you can't get it a box of it, but what you can get is a little six ounce cup. <laughs> That's enough for breakfast, and that's seven dollars. So you have to really you have to really be into Rice Krispie treats in order to uh, to justify. It. Well, we now know where your heart is at. That's right. <laughs> Norbert, uh, as we wrap this up, I'd just like to get your insights on the fuel prices at the pump. Uh, two years ago, when Trump was in office, we were a net positive producer of oil. We were exporting. We had as much oil as we could consume, so we were selling off what we didn't need. Now, we don't seem to have as much oil what what changed? I mean, we went through COVID, driving stopped virtually. We were consuming less oil, uh, yet it seems to be a commodity that's up in price hitting the consumer, and I don't understand. Well, demand is a little bit stronger, you know, as we've come out of uh, all of the uh, shutdowns and everything else that we've picked up and, and it's gotten stronger. Uh, we also, uh, as soon as the new administration came in, they stopped work on the Keystone Pipeline, which that was a signal that things aren't going to be any better in the future than they are right now when it comes to supply. And so people started to think differently about supply and what, what they could do with that. Um, the... Uh, the whole market has shifted, Tim, from the standpoint uh, you have to, I, I know a number of, of people who have recently bought diesel trucks, diesel oh. pickups. Yeah, they've got a surprise. You know, they really got a shock. Uh, they were doing it because they could save all kinds of money with diesel, and that's not turned out to be the case for that. I'd like to share with you something that was on the New York Times this morning, a photograph of a gas station, I'm not sure where, showing $7.699 for regular gas. Right. That's, That's probably California. <laughs> it's probably California. Well, yeah, I don't well, know Herbert is the key. Let me, let me give you a real quick uh, insight into convenience store economics, okay? Is this another Rice Krispie story? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
you, the convenience store prices gasoline based on what they had to pay for it at the refinery in order to load it on the tanker to go to deliver to the convenience store. That works fine. Well, in this environment, it's gonna cost the uh, convenience store more money to replace what they just sold. And so they've got to raise prices in order to cover that. So what looks like, well, they ought to be happy getting higher prices. They're going to the bank to borrow money to pay for these additional loads of fuel at new prices that they come. Now, the good news is when those prices come down and they eventually will in some pattern, uh, at that point, the convenience store gets their money back because they, they're getting more money back than what they uh, need in order to cover the cost of the, new, of the product for doing that. That whole thing has to play out. That cycle has to play out where they get to the top and they, they quit buying or they, uh, you know, they put those yellow bags on the, on the uh, gas pump as, that we all know means uh, we're not going to get any gasoline here. Uh, but that's the, the, you know, basic fundamental economics that have to apply to, to those, those segments of the economy in terms of replacement. And then you get the big convenience uh, store groups, they're going to even have to go further to borrow more money to keep the liquidity where they need to be. Well, yellow still works for me. So right. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to stand out at the gas pump and scare people off. But Norbert, we right. appreciate you joining us on uh, this episode and sharing your insights based on the global uh, purchasing managers index. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure, as always. Take care and have a great weekend coming up. Thanks again, Norbert. We'll talk with Norbert again next month to see what has happened, particularly with purchasing managers index numbers in Europe. Uh, and while you are surfing the web, you know, just seeing what's happening in the world, stop by jacketmediaco.com where you will find this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio and all of the other podcasts that we do every month. Lots of great information there. And thanks for listening to us. By, by the way, one thing before we leave, we do have some new shows coming up. And uh, so they'll be starting next week or so. So you got to tune in. It's, uh, um, I don't, I want to surprise you all. So we're not going to tell you who, but we have, we have okay. a well-known guy who's been around a long time he knows everything that there is to know about reshoring. So if you're into reshoring, tune in next week. That's our new episode. And thanks for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Bye, all. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>